The book of Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in, underneath one of the seats in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. Um, it's good to have the scripture in front of you, though, as, as we're going through our time this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 6 uh, this morning, verses 19 to 24. Are you all ready? Because... We've spent the last four weeks in a series on generosity, talking about everything but generosity. This morning, we are going to start turning that corner, and so I want us to be ready for that. We're also going to have the text uh, projected this morning, which I think is going to be really helpful. Uh, so if you would stand in honor of God's word, I'm just going to jump in because we've got so much to talk about. going to be reading verses 19 through 24, okay? For some of us, these are very familiar verses, so let me just lay out a warning. For those of us for whom these are familiar, what that means is that we are very tempted right now to just kind of check out, think about the games that are going on later today and, you know, whatever else, some snacks that we're planning on picking up. But this is a time in which God is speaking to us, and no matter how many times you've heard it, God is wanting to do something this morning. He's going to do it. He's going to do it through his word. So let's hear it in that way, okay? This is Jesus speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we, as we come and we want to listen to you and hear from you, there are so many things that get in the way of that, so many things that vie for our affections and our attention. So we just, we ask that you would silence those things. And you would calm our hearts, calm my heart even. And Lord, let, let all that we do in the next, uh, the minutes that are coming, let them just be pleasing in your sight. As we lift you up, Jesus, would you draw all people to yourself as you promised to do? We ask you to do it in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. (sighs) Still recovering from that massive mess up. So, (laughs) be patient with me. So finally, we get to turn our attention to some of those passages that specifically deal with our relationship with money. And some of you who maybe have been part of a church for a while, you may be wondering why it took us so long to get here. Why not just, I'm going to just kind of, Rick, tell us what you're going to tell us. Like, just jump in. Well, it's actually quite simple. Everything that the Bible says about money and our relationship to it is based on what we've talked about for the last four weeks, right? First and foremost, that we were made by God and for God, not for other things. That that restlessness in our souls comes because of our alienation from him, not our alienation from Oreos, Right? That we are not here for ourselves. That God created us not for ourselves, but to be agents of God's redemption in the world. 
that he placed us specifically where he placed us to be agents for the world in that particular place. And that everything we have, both our personal gifts and our resources, are from him. They are gifts from him and they are his. Right? Everything that the Bible says about money is based on those presuppositions. And if we jump into talking about uh, the talking about money without hitting those issues, we're going to get stuck. We're going to get messed up. We're we're going to we're going to start to believe other things. We're going to be wondering why why does God want my stuff? Why does why does God want to separate me from my happiness? Why does he want to hold me back? Why does, he, why does he want to tell me what I have done with my well-earned, hard-earned stuff? You with me? So if we're starting from where we've gone the last four weeks, then we can get started with how the scriptures speak to our relationship with money. And we're going to do so first by dealing with where money sits in our hearts. Okay? So here's what we're going to see, I hope the end of the day well no I'm not going to go that long at the end of uh, my time here here's what we're going to see we're going to see that trying to serve anything in addition to Jesus just means that you're serving anything but Jesus right when we try to serve anything in addition to Jesus what it ends up being is us serving anything perhaps even everything but Jesus okay so let's jump in uh, if, you, if you want the outline, you can, you can take some notes. If not, don't worry about it. Okay? So let's jump in. Let me, let me give a little context. Remember, especially when we're dealing with difficult passages, especially ones that we're more likely than not to be uh, arguing with in, in our own hearts, it's good to give a little context so you can be sure that we're not uh, twisting things, right? And, and let me just say from the outset, um, it's a really good thing at times. Like if you're like, you know, I don't really know about what Rick said. It, that's, that's not a threatening thing. Go home, study it. Take out the passage, read through it. You know, I, I send you some resources. We can, we can get you studying it. Uh, but you don't, you don't have to just con- take my word for it necessarily, okay? So we're jumping into Matthew chapter 6. This is the middle of what scholars call, and maybe you've heard of it, called this the Sermon on the Mount, right? Which is just another way of saying it's a, it's a long block of teaching that Jesus did in one particular place, okay? And, and the, this is a pretty famous section of Jesus' teaching. It includes what's, uh, what scholars call the Beatitudes, right? The blessed are the, remember you've heard that, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, you know, all those different things. It, it deals with lots of different stuff. It deals with, with anger, right? This is where Jesus says, you've, you've heard it said, you know, do not murder, but I tell you if you're anger, angry with your brother that you've already murdered him, you're like, whoa, that's crazy. It deals with divorce, right, or, or adultery. It says, you know, you've heard it said, do, do not commit adultery, but I tell you if you if you're lusting after someone else, you've already committed adultery in your hearts. And we're all like, come on, really? Like, what are we doing here? It, it, basically, what Jesus does throughout this entire passage is he's generally heightening our understanding of God's law so that it's not just about behaviors, but it's about what's going on in here, in our hearts. You with me? Now, here's the important thing. What Jesus is talking about in this section is not simply there. I know, and, and I, listen, I've heard it preached this way before, and I've heard other people talk about it this way before. It's not simply there to get you go, man, I can't do this either. I thought I was keeping the Ten Commandments, but I really can't keep them. No, no, that, it, it's not Jesus just pointing out our inability. What he's doing, he's going, this is what 
the life of my redeemed people is meant to look like. With me? Which means that the Sermon on the Mount is intended to be enacted. It's intended to be obeyed. It's not just thrown out there for kicks and giggles. This is actually intended to be obeyed. Okay? Now, that trajectory that he sets throughout this entire thing of from, from behavior down to the heart, getting down to the heart, is actually important as we get into this particular topic. Now, let's start there. Look down at verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. So first, treasure. Okay, treasure. You're like, well, Rick, you really don't have to explain what that is. Actually, I kind of do, because most of us don't actually think that we have any of this stuff, right? Treasure. Treasure is not just um, Scrooge McDuck stuff, and it's not just what pirates have. In the original, it simply means what is precious to you, right? What is precious? Where you put your preciousness, in other words. And he says that with this, this, this thing that is of great value to you, do not assign that great value to things on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, what this is dealing with is not um, simply stuff on earth bad. Okay? Notice what he says. That what he's talking about is things on earth where, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal is not those things bad. It's those things not secure. There's a fundamental insecurity about this, is what Jesus is talking about. When you place our preciousness, when we call things a treasure that are fundamentally insecure, that is a, that is a problem, okay? It, it, and, and that's why we get verse 20, where he says, instead, instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroy, and where thieves do not break into steel. Again, notice, he's not saying stuff on earth bad, stuff in heaven good. He's saying stuff on earth insecure can go away, the stuff in heaven can't. We place our value, we put our, we put our value, we place our preciousness on things that can go away. That's a problem. With things that are permanent, it is not. Now, he's going to flesh that out. We'll understand it better in a second. But that's what he's talking about, right? There's a problem when we look towards things that are fundamentally insecure. And you, listen, we know this, right? Think about like how, how we feel when the market takes a dip. Right? And like we're, you know, maybe, maybe you're nearing retirement age. And you're like, you, things, are, things are a little insecure. That, that thing takes a dip. Maybe, maybe you invested in Bitcoin, right? Yeah, that's, uh, okay, so that looked great a couple of years ago. And then all of a sudden, poof. We're like, ah, oh, how am I supposed to trust this? Exactly. That's what Jesus is talking about. Right? And that leads us to verse 21. For, when he says for, this is a therefore, kind of this is like, okay, here's the result. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, this is a huge verse. This is one of the only times in all of Jesus' teachings where he actually gives us a diagnosable or a, a diagnostic uh, as to our condition, our spiritual state. He says, where your treasure is, in other words, where you place your value of precious, where something gets that ultimate value for you, that is where your heart is. Okay, here's the reality. This is part of what it means to be human. 
we are value givers, we are meaning makers, we are storytellers, right? We, we, even the way our brains work, things happen, we receive that sense data on the left side of our brain, we shoot it over to the, or sorry, on the right side of our brain, we shoot it over to the left side to create a narrative out of it, to try and find meaning with it, to kind of create a story that makes sense of what we just experienced. This is what we do. We assign value to things. As a matter of fact, persons are the only ones that can assign value to things. It's one of the, honestly, it's one of the best uh, arguments for, for why, um, why there's an ultimate person that we call God. Because we can talk about the idea of relative morality all we want, but if somebody steals my car, I'm going to get angry. And it's not going to be because, well, my morality was infringed upon. It's going to be because that was wrong. There's an ultimate value, right? There's an ultimate that is kind of assigned that these things are wrong. So how, what does this mean as a diagnostic? What does this mean? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Well, let me, let me ask you this question. Where do your resources flow most freely? Where do they flow most freely? Now, notice what I did not say is, what do you end up spending the most of your resources on? That's very different. The question is not, because my guess is that for most of us, that's going to have to do with, with our you know, living situation, where we live, what we eat, all that stuff. I mean, where do things take no thought, no consideration for that swipe to happen? Right? That, if you still use them, that check to be written, that transaction, that button to be pushed, the buy now swipe right the buy now and it just what takes no thought is it fun is it vacations trips maybe it's alcohol food clothes job stuff health gotta stay healthy fitness where does your money flow most freely let me you're like i don't i still don't understand what you mean here let me give you an example from my life if, if uh, my wife were to come to me and say, Rick, uh, you, we really need to get you some new clothes. And maybe you do. I mean, maybe I do. And she's like, you got to go. Th- these things. I, that's hard for me. I don't know why. It's hard for me. I'm going to put that off for as long as possible. It's just part of my personality. Like, my shoes got holes in them. Ah, you know, I can wait another week or two. It's not a big deal. Things are just wearing out. Things don't look so good. And then when I get there, it's going to take me forever to make a decision. I'm going to walk it through. I, I hate shopping. I'm not going to like it. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to want a shirt. And then I'm, as I'm on the way, I've grabbed the shirt. It took me three and a half seconds to find it. I've grabbed the shirt. As I'm walking, I'm going to go, ah, I don't really need this. And I'm going to go put it back. However, if I drive past a convenience store, the steering wheel will magically turn and I will come out with a big gulp and probably something else to eat without even thinking about it. It's as if it just magically occurred and suddenly I'm halfway down Colonial and I'm going, where did this come from? (laughs) My resources flow very freely towards that and not very freely towards anything else. Right? Jesus says, and what does this mean about me? Jesus says you can tell what is most precious to you by seeing what it is that your money flows most freely towards. 
So it's a, it's a diagnostic. But it's also a discipline. Because you notice what he also says. The other kind of uh, emphasis here is that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is because what happens is, as we invest in something, as, we, as our resources are poured towards that, as we not only say in our heads, this, this is valuable to me, this matters to me, but we actually put our money towards it, where we do that, what happens is it begins to reinforce that in our hearts, right? It means that it, this is something that you can, if you are a Christian, begin to allow Jesus to work on you with. You, not me. The big gulp thing is just going to keep happening. I don't know what to tell you about that. Joking. Maybe he wants to work on me now. But now, as soon as I say that, some of us begin to think, like, wait, Rick, you tell us all the time that, um, that change and, and, and we grow by grace as much as we're rescued by it. Shouldn't, shouldn't we just kind of pray and ask God to work in us and, until we feel like it? That's a great question. Glad you asked it. And it's actually one of the most common misunderstandings of how the, way of, how, the, how the grace of God works, right? So, l- let me ask you. If you see an issue in your life, right, and then you pray and you ask God to work to change it, how do you know when he does it? It's when you change, right? Like, it's when it actually changes, Faith is not waiting around, continuing to pursue the things that we know mess up our relationship with God and hoping one day that you'll wake up and say, today's the day, and it's all different, right? Instead, it's praying that God will make this change in us, right? Okay, we pray, we ask, God, please change this in me. I need you to change this in me. And trusting that if it happens, if he's doing it, it's all because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And then going from there, and living as if, or believing that, God is actually working to do the change. Right? Believing that he's actually answered that prayer. And that's what Jesus is meaning here. Right? That's what he's talking about. He's saying, if you see that your stuff is flowing more freely towards everything but Jesus, we repent, we ask him to change us, we trust that he's actually working, and then we go and do differently. Start moving your resources freely towards what matters to him. And what you end up finding is that as you do that, he is changing you. Is it immediate? No. No. Very, very few instances of change happen in large jumps. Right? You know this. Most of y'all have been doing this longer than I have. Most of it happens in little baby steps. But it is truly happening. Well, stink. Okay. But listen, if, if it's simply a behavior thing, if I'm, I'm being honest with you, if it's simply a behavior, like, okay, move the stuff from here to here. If it's simply a behavior, many of us in this room could probably make that work. I couldn't, but most of you can, right? You're high performers. I get that. But then we have something different, right? We have this section right here, verse 22 and 23, that seems completely out of place. Starts talking about money finishes talking about money, and in the middle is this weird thing on optometry. We're like, I don't understand what this has to do with the money. Well, it's actually incredibly important, okay? So look there. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Okay? Here's the core of what Jesus is saying here. If your eye is healthy, if it is sound, then life will function correctly. Simple, right? You see that? That seems obvious, doesn't it? Then why say it, Jesus? Why, why say that? Why, why talk about, like, if my eye's healthy, then everything's going to work right? Duh. Why do, I, why do you need to reinforce that? He does it because we so typically, consistently, think about things the other way around. Here's what I mean. We are bent on seeing things from the outside in. Jesus is saying the reason that we find other things precious, the reason that we place our value in things that are fundamentally insecure is because our hearts are broken. That our hearts are not sound, as he says, with the eye, right? What does that mean? Well, what it doesn't mean is this this idea that I think we, we sometimes fool ourselves into thinking what Jesus means. What it doesn't mean is that if our hearts were right, we wouldn't care about anything, Jesus. It's just him, and everything else doesn't matter. No, that's Buddhism. Okay? That's Buddhism. That's uh, being disconnected with everything. What he's talking about is this concept that the the, uh, fourth century church father, fourth, fifth century church father, uh, St. Augustine, used to talk about when he talked about our loves being disordered. That there's something in our heart that disorders our love. So that when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, what he's not saying is exclusively, like, love God and everything else be unconcerned about. What he's saying is that place of ultimacy, that highest point, that place where everything begins to, all meaning kind of stems from. That's where you place God. That's where you love him. And all of the other loves can fall underneath. Right? Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength does not mean you don't love your spouse and your kids. doesn't mean you don't love your family. doesn't mean you don't love your neighbor. It would be hard if Jesus said, love, love God with all of your being. Oh, yeah. And love your neighbor. Hmm. How do you do that? You can't do it's not what he's talking He's talking about lining them up right. Okay, and this is what he means. It means having our loves ordered correctly. Now, but here's the problem. He's starting at the source. Here's the problem. You can't line up your loves. And neither can I. Your loves are disordered. Your heart is disordered. And so is mine. And that is what the scripture says, what the Bible says our primary problem is. And that's why what we need is more than simply kind of a reforming. We don't just need a a kind of a reformation. And if I'm being honest with you, this is one of, if not the biggest difference between Christianity and every other option out there. Like, they give you rules and Christianity gives you a rescue. They give you reform and Jesus gives you rebirth. He says it's way worse than you think. And the problem is way better than you can imagine. Or the the solution is way better than you can imagine. And you know this is what you need. As much as I know this is what I need. This is why you and I, we can't even keep our own moral standards. Like we have these things that we go like this. If if you were really a good person like me, you'd do this. And then we kind of mess it up. And we kind of, we have exceptions to ourselves. Well, I really meant to. But you know, the day I was having, it was just awful. And they got cut off in traffic. And of course I acted like that at work. It's not my fault. 
that we can't even keep our own standards. We hide it maybe really well, but at the end of the day, we know. We mess up and we explain it away or we, we beat ourselves up thinking we just need to look, work a little harder, a little harder to love God more than these other things. But here's the problem. You can't. You can't. And if you could, Jesus wouldn't have had to have come. Like that's why he came. See, if your heart, the center of your being, is the problem, then everything that comes out of the center of that being is part of the problem. This is why Jesus says that it's out of the heart all of these bad things come, that it's not what you take into you that makes you unclean, that it's what's coming out of your heart. That's the problem. It's not a behavioral manifestation, like we just got to manipulate our behaviors a little bit. No, they are simply a manifestation of what's going on inside. But Jesus came to conquer sin, death, and hell so that he could renew us. Scripture calls that regeneration. Regeneration. Or as they, they say in the South, being born again. And that is a gift that Jesus gives because he lived, died, and rose again to deal with what keeps us bent away from God. You have to start with Jesus. That's why these, these, these verses right here are so important. Because it doesn't make sense to fix your blindness by turning the lights up higher. It doesn't make sense to kind of fix your, your, you have a necrotic limb, and it's like, yeah, I just need a little PT. Get a little PT on that sucker. Be better. And it doesn't make sense to fix deadness with a little makeup and new clothes. Something more has to be done. You have to deal with the problem, and the Bible teaches us that our problem is our hearts, our nature, and that is something that only Jesus can fix. Listen, I know your loves are disordered, I know they are because mine are too. They're better than they were before I met Jesus. But I still find myself wanting more things, other things more than him. All the time. All the time. But if you try and get this right on your own, I can tell you all you're going to do is make the problem worse. He offers to remake your heart, not because of what you do, but because of what he has done. And if you don't start there, if you don't start there, none of the rest of this matters. None of it matters. Okay? Now, the famous verse. Look down at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. He's going to hate the one, love the other. He's going to be devoted to one, despise the other. All right. Let's dig into this. So the context of these verses is the, is the metaphor of slavery. Okay? It's hard for us in our culture. We struggle with that because of the history of our nation with, with this particular issue. But, but we can't hide from that. That's the, the context, right? He's talking about serving. When he talks about serving, he means, he means being a slave. Okay? You can't be a slave to two masters. You're either going to love one, hate the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. Here's what he's talking about. When he talks about love and, and devotion, hate and despising, see, in the ancient world, we take the word love and we take the word hate and we see them as primarily affectual, right? That they're about our, our emotions. But in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, right? In the ancient Near East, if you were, to, if, if you were um, the, the royalty of a city-state, 
Okay, let's say that you, you're the king and queen, king or queen of a, of a city-state. And this other bigger king comes down. He's got a big nation. He, he conquers you. And he conquers you by standing outside and saying, listen, get on board or I'm raising this thing to the ground. You're like, okay, I'll go with peace. So you come out and you make this agreement. They call it a covenant. And you would make this, this relationship with one another. And one of the things that he or uh, she, depend, well, more often than not it was a he, uh, the big king would ask is that you love him. It was like part of the agreement. You're agreeing to love him. What they did not mean was this, this infatuation, adoration thing. They meant loyalty. Love and hate in the ancient world was far more about whether you were loyal or disloyal than about what was going on in your romantic center of your being. We have European romanticism to blame for that, uh, as far as the way we understand that. Um, and we're not going to get into that, okay? So it has to do with being loyal. The point is you cannot be loyal to two opposing ideas, and you know this, right? If you ever tried, listen, if you ever tried to root for two sports teams, right? Maybe you are both a Ravens fan and a Chiefs fan. You're going to have to pick one later today. You're going to have to. At some point, you're going to either be happy or disappointed by what's happening. At some point, there is a clash, and one will win. If you're married, you know that this happens. This happens because you're supposed to love your parents, right? Until there's a conflict between your parents and and your spouse. You're supposed to pick your spouse, by the way. Okay? You pick your spouse. If not... I'll give you the number for Redeemer Counseling. They would love to talk with you, okay? But that's the whole point. The whole point is you cannot stay loyal to two opposing ideas. Something has to win. Something has to win. And Jesus is saying you cannot be loyal to God and to money. Someone has to win. The reality is is that for most of us, if we're being honest, the winner isn't God. What gets our loyalty? Who gets our loyalty? At the end of the day, who's going to make us somebody? Is it God or our bank balance? Who keeps us safe? Is it the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Or is it whether I have enough in my savings account to answer any problem that may or may not happen to me? Who satisfies us? Is it Jesus that's bringing an answer to the restlessness in our souls, or is it the fact that I can just later today, if I want to, go anywhere I want to, do anything, buy anything I want to? Is that what does it? Who wins? That's why he says you cannot serve both God and money. And if you're using an older uh, translation of the New Testament, some of your Bibles might say mammon, there, mammon is not the name of a demon, okay? It's a Semitic phrase that means money. <laughs> so uh, just, just to be clear. Um, so listen, uh, let's talk about the question of service. If you're a Christian, I need you to listen closely. This passage is about your money, but it is about more than your money. It's about who will win in your heart. Some of us in this room have been walking with Jesus a long time like a really long time. But there are a few things in our lives 
that if we were asked to give them up for Jesus, hmm, not so sure. I'm not so sure we could do it, right? I, in fact, I, I doubt we would. And so, you know, this is a question I've asked off and on for a number of years now. And, but it, it kind of goes like this. If Jesus were standing at that door back there, the one, that one, and he's saying, to follow me, to follow me, I need you to come through this door. But on your way out, there's this one thing. I need you to leave it on this side. As you go out there, I need you to leave it here and come with me. What would you say? Uh, don't be too quick to answer that. Don't be too quick to answer that. Because here's the thing. Why don't you ever try to leave that thing behind? Now, some of you are going to say, well, Rick, uh, Jesus never asked me to leave it behind. Hasn't he? Listen, maybe it's nothing bad in and of itself, but it is showing that there's a loyalty question. Maybe there's something in there that's like, yeah, I don't yeah. Why not settle it here and now? Right now. Why not? Why not settle it right here and now? Why not be honest and say, Jesus, I know that this thing, this, whatever it is, this thing can be a problem in my life. And I'm prone to self-deception. I am. I can do that. So I want to show you that I love you more than this. Listen to me. You cannot serve Jesus and these other things. You can't do it. You can't serve Jesus in your security. I'm sorry. You can't because your security will always win out over Jesus. You cannot serve Jesus and gluttony, whether that's food or drink. You can't. You can't serve Jesus and, parents, and giving your kids a perfect life. You will be loyal to your kids. I'm telling you. You can't serve Jesus and safety. You can't serve Jesus and your personal autonomy. You just can't because when the question is called, one has to win. Listen, I'm not just talking about you. One had to win in my life too. Multiple times. Yeah, sure, why not? I'll tell you the latest one. Like a few months ago, I realized that something had to win between Jesus and drinking because this was heading me down a bad road and it was going to get me in trouble at some point. And Jesus said, it's time to leave it behind. There's nothing wrong with a beer. There's nothing wrong with a glass of wine. But it's wrong if it's getting between you and your Lord. And you leave it behind because it's not as good as he is. Because it cannot save you. And that one in particular cannot make the pain go away. It can't make things just kind of disappear in your life. It, it can't. It can't. He can. He will redeem it. But you can't just forget about it all the time. One has to win. Some of us are like, I don't want to. Or worse, Rick, that's impossible. Listen, I know you don't want to. And no, it's not impossible. So, listen, you're still wondering. Here's what I want you to do this afternoon. Here's what I want you to do. Real simple. 
nothing, nothing radical here. I want, you to, uh, I want you to go home this afternoon. I want you to get on your online banking or just do a simple tally in your head. Where is your money flowing freely? Again, not where the biggest, most decimal points, whatever, most digits on one side of the decimal point running. I, I mean, where, where's like, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And, wow, that's a lot of charges towards this one thing. They're little, they're little though, Rick. They're li- I know. Where is it flowing most freely? Big gulps are not very expensive. I'm just telling you. Okay? Where is it going? Where does it run? Is it towards Christ and his causes? Or is that simply just an easy cost you don't even think about anymore? I get that auto-directed, Rick. I don't even think about it. Hmm. Okay. Listen, Jesus saved you from your sin. He did. If you're a Christian here this morning, Jesus has saved you from your sin. But he has saved you for himself. Not for these things. And today is the day to set it right. Jesus is calling you right now. From his word, he's calling you right now and asking you whether you'd come through the door. Because you can't serve both. Can't serve both. We need to stop lying to ourselves and frankly to others around us. Jesus is good and he will give you the things your heart is craving, but can I tell you, he will do it in him. (laughs) He will do it in him because at the end of the day, trying to serve anything in addition to Jesus will end up leading you to serve anything but Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, have mercy on us as we struggle, as we wrestle. Some of us in this room right now are in the midst of a wrestling match. And so what I would ask is that you do not let us go. And you work in our hearts that we will not let you go until you bless us. And let that blessing, Lord, be yourself. Would you take away those things? If we cannot take away those things that have divided our hearts and instead leave us just with you because you are the one that we were made for and by. The one that will satisfy our souls. We ask you to do this in Christ's name. Amen.